G'day and welcome to another edition of Pow Wow with Sow Wow. This is where I catch up with some of the biggest names in rugby league. Today I catch up with a coach who coached at Canberra, Penrith and the Warriors, none other than Matty Elliott. Matty Elliott, thanks for coming on Pow Wow with Sow Wow. You're the first coach I've had on, so I've saved some of the hard-hitting questions for you. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> You've had something to do with me in the past, Jamie. You should know better than that. Well, that's where I want to start. So I've got all this data in front of me and stats and everything, thanks to my man, Malcolm Middleton. But 2003, take you back to Canberra. Yes. You come in the sheds after an underperforming Michael Maguire's jersey flag side have lost when they should have won. Mm-hmm. You start hurling abuse around. Abuse. Do you remember hurling that abuse at me? Because I was in those sheds. Oh, did I just? Was it just you, or was it? Just, well, I don't know. I mean, I've waited sixteen years to find out if it was meant for me. Well, look, Jamie. All I can say is, is that because I cared. That's why I was in there. <laughs> you know, and I, I guess I, to be on the serious side of that, to go in and to, to make make sure that those players knew that the head coach was there, was watching, and it was important. Um, that, that would probably have been one of the messages and understanding that while we weren't a greatly resourced club, I thought the culture there at that time was pretty constructive and having people that are prepared to sacrifice on the field was what we needed. I must thank you because I drove to Canberra for my first trial and uh, played six minutes and came off. I remember you sitting on the uh, tin, the old tin sheds at Seaford Oval and I walked off and I thought, well, that's it, I've given it my best. And uh, didn't go back on, but quickly moved back down to Canberra afterwards. Yeah, yeah. you, you want to hear the story behind that? <laughs> I'd love to, because I've never heard it. Well, I've never had this happen, Jamie, but you might remember. But I don't know if you sent your CV and with all the pictures. No, no, I had a, a CV, which my stepdad put together, and a videotape. Yep. That we've got through the back door somehow. Yeah, it got to me. The Saturday, and I'd never received anything f- from that from a young player before. And obviously... At the time, there was a couple of younger halves that were already established in Todd Carney and... Um, Michael Dobson. Michael Dobson. So they were going, oh, we don't need it. And we've, we sort of sussed him out. And I said, I've never received anything like this. So this shows a bit of desire. And I think that's something that could be uh, certainly generated the club. I probably should have paid more attention to it, Jamie, over a longer period. But, <laughs> you know, some, that's what you know, evolution is, is both as people and players and coaches even is moving around sometimes super helpful. You talk about your time at Canberra, but I want to take you back to Super League because, I mean, your coaching career almost started over there in terms of Brian Smith took you over there yeah. to the Bradford Bulls. Yeah, really interesting story is how I actually ended up there. I, I uh, retired at 28 at St. George and then got the, you know, I don't know why I said yes to Smithy. I'd never planned to be a coach, so you know, Jamie, but um, uh, Brian Smith asked me to come on the coaching staff and become the development officer at St. George. And I was working in local government at a reasonable level then, so I said yes because I you know, didn't want to be away from footy. And that year, the second year, so it was um, 94, the Dragons and the Roosters agreed to merge. Right. Yeah, that was that was an agreed thing that obviously it was save our saints. Yeah, stop that happening. And so there was Phil Gould on one side of Botany Bay and Brian Smith on the other. Two really small personalities, no <laughs> doubt. But I think Smithy knew that he was going. And during that season, he said, "I'm going to coach Bradford next year." And this was in July. He said, "But I need you to go now if you want to come." So, so you, you jump on, you go over there in a week's notice, right? So, so I, you're the recruiting officer for Bradford Bulls. 
one of the most prestigious clubs in Super League history. Yeah. You take over in 97. That's right. I was, uh, I was a whole lot of things, Jamie, when I first went over. I coached, the, I started the season of the last winter season, the last 10 games. Um, I was the strength and conditioning coach because that's my academic background and, you know, coach and all that sort of stuff. It was a really, really good learning period for me. There's no doubt about that. So, 97, you, you, you guys win. Yeah. And then, you know, you're thinking, wow, this is that's, that's is the this? line you want to go down because I want to name some of those players. That, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had the Paul brothers, yep. Vaynercolo, Jamie Langley. You had a pretty good side. Yeah, Brian McDermott, Jimmy Lowe's. Actually, we probably didn't have the best roster, but we certainly had the toughest and the hardest working roster. Um, Henry wasn't there. Robbie was there in that year. Henry came in 99. We got him from Wigan. Yep. Um, well, they got rid of him. Can you believe that? Um, so, yeah, Henry wasn't there at that stage. Compare, compare those guys to like, the, I mean, we know the Johns brothers, the Trebojevic brothers, but the, the Paul brothers, they don't get much credit in terms of how good they were because they were great. Yeah, Ro- Robbie was like a, a young Benji. Right. Um, yeah, had that just unbelievable speed, footwork. But Henry Henry should have played NRL. Henry should have played a lot of years in the NRL. Henry was so competitive, a larger body, so skillful. Um, yeah, I, I really believe that of the two, Henry was probably the best. And I tried to get into Canberra, but he, he went to rugby union. And obviously there's a thing called cash that sometimes <laughs> people are – yeah, you know, make decisions around and, and understandably so that's what Henry did. So ninety seven you win, ninety nine you lose when you have both the Paul brothers yeah, to St Helens. Yeah. I mean your first bit of coaching, I mean you're thinking how good's this? Ninety nine you lose that final to St Helens, another powerhouse of the Super League. What made you then firstly continue ke- to coach? Because it would have been easy to ke- stay over in Super League and coach. I mean you probably would still be coaching now. But you, you make the decision to come back to Canberra around 2002. What what changed in Matty Elliott's mindset there? I think it was always a plan to come back, Jamie. I, I love my time in the UK and the five years that we had there were really successful and got, got the opportunity to win you know, a Challenge Cup and lose one of those as well. But um, just what, Sorry, just what, what means more to the English players, a title or a Challenge Cup? It's really hard to delineate that one because Challenge Cup in the UK is a little bit like the Melbourne Cup in Australia. Yeah. Like we all come horse racing experts for a week. Yeah. Well, that goes to Wembley. Yeah. And the whole of England are all of a sudden rugby league experts when they're not interested at all. And the atmosphere- See, I would say the Challenge Cup, having played there twice, I would say the Challenge Cup holds more sway with people saying we won the Challenge Cup. We won. I mean, in Australia, we don't talk about minor premierships enough. We talk about the end result, which is fine. But yep. I would say Challenge Cups. Do, do you think that you probably look back and say Challenge Cup was bigger achievement than Super League title? It, it got more national recognition. So it's like if you win the Golden Slipper as opposed to the Melbourne Cup. You know, I, Who won the Golden Slipper last year wouldn't have a clue. But So it's probably a little bit like that. There is probably more internal credibility around winning the Super League title, particularly when they brought in the semi-final series with it. But, yeah, winning the Challenge Cup and experiencing a couple uh, was just extraordinary. My opinion of the Super League is I think that they're 10 years behind in terms of being able to compete on an NRL level, budget-wise, everything like that, week to week. How do you see it? They're pretty close to that, Jamie. Look, there's a couple of things that happen. In where we grew up, the most talented sports people play rugby league, right? And then the people that – this is – I'm generalising here. But then if you can't make the rugby league team, you might go and play football or soccer or or 
that other what rugby you, right, yeah, yeah yeah that whatever that's called <laughs> um, or other sports so that's probably not the case in the, all of the UK and when you get north though again there's some decisions to be made and the, and the bigger kids tended to play rugby league and you know foot and footballers are smaller bodies so they tended to play however there there are some good rugby league players and we're starting to see that um, as as becomes a recruitment place for the NRL to go now so Look, it's I think ten years behind, and it, I can't see it getting closer. I think it may be the distance between the NRL and the Super League may be getting a little d- longer in the in respect of total teams and total squads, not the quality of player. Yeah. You go to Canberra Raiders two thousand two, two thousand six. You make four finals out of the five seasons you're there. You leave to go to Penrith. Was that your choice? The club's choice? Mutual? It was my choice, and uh, you know. With all due respect to Penrith, it was a bad choice. Um, and that had nothing to do w- with what I went into, but more about what I left behind. And, yeah, it, like in retrospect, it's always great making decisions sure. in hindsight, isn't it? But, yeah, what, what we developed as a culture in Canberra at that time, we certainly had to change direction and and recruitment was never going to be – we could have looked at the UK then, yeah. but recruitment was never going to be a way to build the squad. Yeah, it had to be develop, internal development, de- development of local juniors and people from that area and from other areas. So, um, and I probably got a gist of that two year, you know, like the second year in. That look, I tried to recruit some high profile players. We had the money available to do it, but they weren't coming to Canberra because of the perception of Canberra, right? Yeah. So it, th- then we started to turn to okay, we need to actually get the best best kids, really put them into a strong culture, get them to drive that culture. And, yeah, we were starting to head in that direction quite strongly. You get to a semi-final series. I mean, 2010, you guys finished second. You get bowed out in straight sets. Did you have a stronger team at Penrith, your time there, a chance to win a title? Or do you think Canberra, you had a better side that you had a, a, probably a better chance to win a, a title there? I think the 2010 the, – and this, again – I've looked back now because you tend to get smarter as your hair colour changes, Jamie. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I'm using, again, retrospectively looking at this, that definitely the Penrith team was probably more equipped to win a grand final. But in all the grand final series that I got teams to, we got injuries at you know, in, in the semifinals or just going into them. And you can look at, oh, that's just bad luck. But then you have to actually, if you do that, you've put it down to luck rather than taking responsibility. And the responsibility there must have been somewhere in our preparation and periodization of you know physical load and mental load on players and have to accept that could have done a better job there. So you leave the Panthers 2011, Matty. You go to the Roosters. You take up an assistant role there. Yep. You go to the Warriors. So you're back in the coaching game. But that Warriors stint is 29 games. Yeah. We've spoken about this off air. What went wrong there? Because you were your big signing. You've gone over there with plenty of you know stats and everything behind you. You've done the job, being able to get teams to final series. What was the the main problem there for Matty Elliott? Why didn't that work? Um, well, there's a few reasons for it. Um, so again, I like to take personal responsibility. I probably wasn't coaching at my best then, not because I'd, I'd learnt less, not because I wasn't putting the hours in, but yet I had some personal distractions that were back in Australia. And any dilution of a relationship, particularly between players and coaches, there's an impact on performance. So that is definitely what I could have done better. The 
the willingness to change the culture of the, the Warriors, was there was a high reluctance and resistance to it. And what I, what I mean by that is all good people. There were no – none of the players there were bad people and there, were, there was a lot of talent. But you'll know you've been in sides that have gone the full distance, Jamie, is, is that if you need a coach to walk in to blow up, to make you train hard and prepare properly or do extras or – or yeah, do anything. it's not player-driven. You, you're going to be behind. You're going to be chasing all the time. You're in trouble. Yeah. So the the mechanisms that I put in for it to be player-driven were seen as complexed. Right. Um, the mechanisms of game plans, which I dumbed down, sorry to use that term, uh, were seen as complex. And it was like, you know, like if you compared the playing style as to what a Melbourne Storm game plan would very, look very like simple. And, and the pre- preparation, we were miles behind. Yeah. Um, and there was a high level of resistance to that, and I also expressed to the owner, you know, the, the owner of the of the the club at the time that look, if an opportunity in Australia came up, you know, I, I wanted to be honest with him because he'd given me that opportunity, and that probably wasn't my smartest move. You go and coach the United States team World Cup. Yeah. How, how was that? How did that come about, and how was that experience? Because I, I'm a big believer that. For the international game to grow, it's never going to be like football. It's never ever going to be like rugby union. We need to have a two-tier system to grow those nations rather than throwing them in against Australia and New Zealand and England and now Tonga every four years and expect them to compete. When you went over to USA, what was the one thing you you thought going over that surprised you and what was the one thing you took out of it? Because it was only a short stay. Yeah, look... No, I actually coached them from 2007 in different games right. and different t- tournaments. So I probably coached them across maybe 10, 12 games. I'd need to have to go back and have a look at that. Look, Jamie, I'm totally aligned with your thinking on this. There's a genuine opportunity in the States. Obviously, we had some players that were, you know, American Samoa and sure. and that, that were living in Australia and guys that in Australia that qualified for the American team. But there's a real opportunity, and again, it's for me. It's through the South Pacific. Yeah, there's you no know, huge Polynesian populations, particularly in Hawaii, where they they love rugby. Yeah, they, they don't delineate between rugby league and rugby union, and then there's obviously big populations in the states. Now, I'll tell you something about. First of all, let's get rid of rugby union. Yep. Rugby union are for they're college athletes that can't do anything else. Yes, so they're not for your high level athletes. Yeah. Rugby league and the analogy, the similarities between league and American football, the simplicity of it at the base level is is there. Their players are highly. The first coaching session I ever did with the American team, the team ran over and they all took a knee. They're highly driven to be successful, but to also learn because it's a part of their culture. Really, yep. the coach is like their dad, mentor, brother. You know everything to them, knowing that. For that two hours or whatever you get, having followed a lot of American sport, their culture is that their coach is everything. And if they believe in you from day one, you go back to what you, you probably lacked at the Warriors where the players drive it and your message is that is the final icing on the cake almost. 100%. They're highly coachable. The status of the coach in American society is like our doctor. Yes. It's it's really <laughs> – I found it so – like I had to tell them, please get up. Yeah. It just freaked me out at first. Then you've got guys that with with the football, American football background, their skill levels are catching. 
okay, and their ball carry is really good. Yep. And they have absolutely zero fear of contact. So there's their way of actually using that over a sustained period is not great. Um, but there is a real opportunity through the South Pacific to grow the game, particularly you know on the on the East Coast and the, yep. sorry the West Coast. Yep. Um, in the states, there's no doubt about that. And there's you know there's places like Salt Lake City. Yeah. Massive Polynesian populations. You know, California, where you could grow it through Hawaii and you could – again, you don't need a huge marketplace over there to beat the size of ours. Yeah. And it would be something that I believe would be really exciting for the game and they would embrace it. They they love – American people love watching a, um, rugby league yeah. because it's because of the physicality of yeah. it. Yeah. I, I see one hole in the uh, the Polynesian teams but also, you know, those smaller nations is – they can be physical. They can match you for strength and power and all that kind of stuff. I don't think they'll ever get a halfback that's the quality of what you see for New Zealand, England, Australia. Now, how would Matt Elliott go about changing that if he could in a, in a short sort of way? So, again, let's take the fact that they're coachable, okay? Yes. Is that you? if you target high school kids – so at high school, you, you start making big decisions, right? Now, to get to, into the college system, if you don't get – um, a sponsorship, a scholarship. a scholarship to get there, you miss out. Yeah. So at high school age, so we're talking fifteen to seventeen year olds of highly coachable kids that have have some background in catching a footy, right? They don't have a lot of background in passing one. The, so that that's one thing is is that's the target group. And if you look at so low socioeconomic communities over there, and you start to grow it that way, you're going to get a lot of pre interest because if People are looking for ways to earn money in careers. So there's a model that's been developed around how to do this. The other thing that they don't have a lot of in the States is community sports. Yeah. A thing called touch footy. Would take off. They would love it. So there you go. there's a little bit of your they would er- love it. earlier development of it. So the, look, there's a model that would work whether, you know, again, it, it would take resourcing. Right, we've talked about your coaching career. I want to talk about your playing career now. Oh, this uh, will be short. 87, 88, you play for Le, Pon- Le Ponier? Le Ponte. Le Ponte over in France. You won the league title and the cup double, so you were successful over there. 62 games for St. George, and that's it. You decided to become a coach. Well, my knee, I played – look, so, Jamie, I came to Sydney to play cricket. I was a first-grade cricketer. and I played. Well, I haven't got to that yet, so don't okay. give that away because okay. I want to come back to that. Well, that was a little bit of why I had to stop playing. Right. I played at the Roosters. Well, it was my first, like, under-23s. Bondi uh, United was yeah. your junior club? Yeah, that's right. Well, gee, goodness gracious, I'm feeling really uncomfortable now. <laughs> I, I hope there's some stuff you don't no, know. <laughs> no, no. So you're a Bondi United junior. You're born on Thursday Island uh, in 64. You're Bondi United junior. You play in France. You play for St. George. You talk about those playing days, but you were a great kick- cricketer. You were handy left arm uh, for the Queensland Secondary Schools. Pace, medium pace. As fast as I could bowl. fast as you could bowl. You once came up against the War Brothers. Now, the War Brothers are the same age as me. So is Mark Taylor. So, yeah, I played against Did you them. ever get them out? Um, I, th- I think I got Steve out, yes. Right. I got Mark Taylor out well, as well. Well, that's the story I want to hear. Let's hear about getting Steve War out. He's one of my probably my favourite cricketer of all time. Well, I can tell you, I'm, I'm trying to think of the name. There was a un- so we all played first grade, obviously in the Sydney comp. Yeah. I got Mark Taylor out in the schoolboys. Right. Um, I got Steve War out. We were, I'm trying to think. There's a there's a under 23s comp that they play. I'm trying to remember what they call it. Someone will 
remind me at some stage, but see my hair yeah. colour. So you said <laughs> you told everyone my birthday, mate, which I'm a bit disappointed. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was an under twenty threes comp, and I, yeah, I got him out caught behind. But ironically, I batted up higher in the order in that game. I, obviously, in first grade, I normally batted nine. I think I batted five or six that day, and yeah, he cleaned me up as well. Oh, so did he? He was quite quick, you know. Did you see the talent back then of those guys that they were going to be? Some of Australia's greatest players? Mark, yes. Yes. Steve was just so, such a tough competitor. And again, he was a, a medium pace bowler in those days. And I thought medium pace was probably a little bit, you know, yeah. derogatory to him sometimes because right. he could really you know, ping the odd one out. But he was one of those guys that never, even as, as a test cricketer, you, you could never really understand how he scored so many runs, but nah. he did. Yeah, that's exactly right. Same, same. <laughs> um, you've been a. A commentator now for five years with ABC Grandstand, and we see each other regularly at, at games. Do you like seeing the game as a player, coach, commentator? Because I would, I've sat back and I've said to you, I don't see the game clearer than what I see it right now. I can see things and look at, and coaching, yes, down the line maybe, but I look at the game now and think, I can see that so clearly, but I go to bed with a clear head. Yeah. It's such a difficult question to answer. Like, for me, the people I got the opportunity to play footy with, what rugby league's done for me in my life, I, you know, there's there's no paying back. No, I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying in terms of what you know, what's your favourite? If you had to I rank three, you love playing. I just love playing because of the people I got to play with. Um, I love the analytical side of coaching. I love the the opportunities that you, you can't get too analytical when you're on radio because yeah. you know, you're not talking to other coaches. You're trying to be yeah, you're trying to talk to people that just want to listen to the footy. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I love the deep side of the game. Oh, you know, and that sometimes was a distraction to me as a coach. Right. So no doubt about that. But I really love looking at the analytical side of the game and where it's evolving to and how to develop skill set and where where the next layer of improvements coming from? Because physically, we're almost we're out we're out of space. We can't yeah we can't get any fitter or faster or stronger really. Yeah, it's it, well the di- the difference is minute. So the other areas is what we're seeing from teams now is they're starting to take approaches in the mental and the emotional side of things. What about as a commentator though? Because I've listened to you and I reckon you're great. I think you you articulate the game well, but you also and, and something I've worked tried to work into my young media life is. There's times to be serious, but there's also times to know that probably in between the 20s is just to have a bit of fun. Yeah, Jamie, well, you've got experience in this. You've been a footballer. Yeah. And like if you've been around the guys who are just serious all the time, they don't, they're not, it's not sustainable. Yeah. And footy is the reason you started playing it is fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. Some people can't understand how it is fun, but it's just a fun game to play. So, with the great insights that you have, just getting the balance between that, you know, sometimes you can go too far one way yeah. and too far the other, but get trying to work on getting the balance so people can enjoy, you know, the experience that you're having and you're you're getting to see. We get to go to games of footy. Who gets to do that yeah. and get paid? Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> okay, we'll finish it off with this. What was your first car? My first car was an XW Ford. XW Ford. What colour? It was green. Green and you coach the green machine, so that's good. Favorite player you played with? Favorite player I played with? Wow, that's a really, really hard question. We um, ask the hard questions here, mate. <laughs> there's, oh, 
Well, I'll say well, best player you played with. Best player I played with. Geez, that's a hard one as well. I probably probably the most underrated but best player I played with was Scott Goulet. Yeah, right. Yeah. What made him so good? Oh, he just never got tired. Such a big guy. Fantastic skill set. Yeah. Never got tired. Just unbelievable athlete. Favorite player to coach. Favorite player to coach. Or hard. I I wrote favorite player, but also wrote hardest worker. So I know that you coached Alan Tung. Yeah, Tungy would have been the. He hard- got the most out of his. Tungy, what he had. Yeah, Tungy was extraordinary. He actually helped change the culture at the Raiders. There's no doubt about that. I, I, I can't look. Ruben Wiki, Petro Sivanasiva can't separate them. Can't split them. No, they're just inspirational, tough. Uh, and the effect that they had on their teammates. They're the players I look at who has the biggest effect on their teammates. And my last question. Born on Thursday Island, as I said, you played for Bondi United, you played for St George Illawarra, but you're a rotten Queenslander. How did... I mean... Born on TI, I grew up in Townsville. How can I not... But you spent a lot of time in New South Wales. You've coached, you've played, you've... well, I've come here to spread the message of how <laughs> special us Queenslanders are, and someone has to do it because if you know, like if we didn't infiltrate here down in New South Wales, imagine what the place would be like. You'd be all walking around serious, beeping your horn at each other, you know, abusing each other. The just every now and then a Queenslander's going, "Hey, mate, chill out." I will leave you have the last word on this. Origin would have changed. I mean, you were there probably when it started. Yeah. What's the one thing that Matt Elliott looks forward to at a football game? Origin, grand final day. What's the one thing you walk in the gates and you just think, oh, I can't wait? The contest and a spectacular performance. You know, when you see that some, you know, whether a team or an individual come up with that game where you just, regardless of who they are, I tend to be unbiased towards teams. I get teams I got. Yeah, I'm so am I. I just love seeing, you know, like a team just play a fantastic. A brand brand of footy or a or a contest that you just riveted the whole time thanks matty appreciate your time you're welcome mate you, can i do the blow up now yeah sure what were you thinking mate <laughs> that was a space on your right hand side <laughs> and you dummied and went yourself something like that i think a gatorade can got thrown that day <laughs> <laughs> thanks mate thanks thanks for joining us on power hour with sour don't forget to rate review and subscribe we'll be back next week